Hello friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Barr and you're listening to episode 200 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. Episode 200, how funny is that? Anyway, this is the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. And I'm glad you've chosen to spend the next hour or so in my little niche corner of the internet. If you've been a listener for a while, um, back through the milestones that were episodes 50, 100 and 150, you'll know that I do like to mark these occasions in some way. And it's the same this time around as I'm going to be releasing a double header episode 200 to mark this occasion. The first part, episode 200, if you like, is what you're currently listening to, which is my conversation with Nick Hounsfield, surfer and founder of the Bristol Wave, and a fitting guest indeed for this milestone of an episode, as I'll explain very shortly. Then next week, I'm following this up with a special bonus episode for paid subscribers only with my old pal and most capped member of the Looking Sideways community, Ed Lee. So Ed was on episode one episode 50 and episode 150 and I've done a couple of live um, Instagram chats with him over the years so yeah Ed's my most featured guest and he's going to be on again so if you're a bit confused by the talk about paid subscribers if you've not listened for a while and wondering what that's all about stick around at the end for housekeeping corner where I'll be chatting a bit more about that or seek out my special housekeeping corner episode which you can find on all the usual channels where I go into it in quite some detail um, like I say I'll talk a bit more about that at the end but in the meantime let's get on with this conversation with Nick so why have I invited Nick Hounsfield back on the show for his second appearance to mark episode 200 well a few reasons really Firstly, because there's an argument to be made, and I'm about to make it, that Nick has had more influence on British surf culture over the last decade than anybody else. Um, Bold statement. I can hear a few people already disagreeing with that, but I think you can make the argument. I mean, certainly the opening of the wave has changed the landscape of British surfing in ways we're still getting our heads around. Um, And that's just when you try and surf it. The wave has also, as me and Nick discussed, become something of a handy metaphor for, well, whatever you want it to be when it comes to surfing and the state of surfing, which is obviously intriguing. If you've got an opinion about surfing, the wave can back it up in some way, um, which I think is something that Nick also recognises. And then there's Nick's story itself, which I think is also completely fascinating on its own terms especially after having gone back and listened to our first conversation in preparation for this one. So back then, and this was in September 2019, we recorded the episode in the dry lake itself. Um, There was no water in the thing. It was a building site. This was a week before it was filled with water and probably about a month before the place opened. And quite funny going back this time and remembering that. Um, you know with this thing now filled with millions of gallons of water and at that point excitement was in the air um, because this was the culmination of a 10-year dream the end was in sight and the 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 entire chat if I remember rightly I pitched it as your your celebratory Kevin Costner style if if you build it they will come narrative Um, and then as Nick himself said to me on the morning we recorded episode 200, the thing is, I thought that was the end of the journey. I now realise it was actually the beginning. And that journey, X Factor Alert, has taken in many uh, wider and personal milestones over the intervening years, whether they've been COVID, um, you know, it opened the wave just before a pandemic and then had to shut for the first summer 
quite a problem. The energy crisis, um, in case you're not sure, businesses don't get energy rate relief. So if you're somewhere like the wave and you're being hit with triple energy bills, that's another problem. Or on the personal front, the stroke Nick suffered a few months after the wave was finished, which he's talked about openly before and which he talks about very openly during this conversation. So since this has all happened, since the wave opened, since we chatted, myself and Nick have become friends. And I realised as I was preparing this episode, for me, the story of the wave is really Nick's personal tale. Um, And that's the way I've approached this conversation. And that's what I really wanted to chat about. From Nick's perspective as a founder and an entrepreneur, really, what has he learned? What's the personal tariff been like? And has it been worth it? This is what we talked about. And the resulting conversation is a really fascinating insight into the personal cost of delivering such an all-encompassing vision and how you need to change constantly um, to make things happen. I'm not going to use the word pivot. That word does get used a bit in this conversation Um, but I'm talking about that and also about what it takes to be a founder and a visionary and why if you're going to do something like this or try and do something like this or try and do anything that's putting you out of your comfort zone hard pragmatic decisions come with the territory doesn't matter what you're doing if you're going to stretch yourself you're going to have to make some decisions like that so that's what we talked about I got a lot out of it I'm stoked Nick trusted me to go there and we did go there Um, so here it is me and Nick the journey is the destination. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Yeah, one of the kind of markers I remember of, of being old was playing, you know, when I was like, oh, I'm getting old, was playing football in a tournament in Hossegore which was run by a friend of mine, which was kind of like the Snowboarders World Cup. Mm -hmm. It was basically like teams from all over Europe. So we went over as like the British team. And uh, this is probably about 10 years ago. And um, basically like ball comes across. I was at the back and I was like, probably had a good 10 meters on this lad yeah. you know and was like oh yeah that's my ball all day wrong mm-hmm. he just literally like motored past me <laughs> planted it in the bottom corner i was like ah okay <laughs> i was like running through treacle you know fuck <laughs> yeah um okay so there we go we're going um how are you i'm good yeah, yeah. a bit yeah. closer there we go um so i was quite intrigued then because we were just having the the, the prelim chat mm-hmm. and you were saying you still get as my friend referred to it, uh, the yips <laughs> surfing here, which is quite funny because you must have the most waves, right? Um, you must have surfed this the most. Yeah, m- yeah, I must have. I would imagine. I'm, I, turn I, I, that off, actually. Keep going, though. <coughs> yeah, I would. I imagine that I've I've surfed here pretty much the most. Um, um, but every yeah, every every day it's different. Every session it's different, and depends on who's in the water with me and yeah kind of um i guess that's more sort of personal psych psychology going on where uh i guess i reach i always get in the water going i've gotten how to do this yeah until until you kind of got two or three under your belt and you're like oh actually no it's clicked back so that's, place. A, that's a universal thing then I like so yeah yeah because yeah, ev- every time you I need feel it. you need that you need that first one don't you because yeah. every time i surf her i'm like if i get the first one of a set then i I'm I'm kind of set really yeah you know? exactly but I've had a few where I've definitely 
got in my own head yeah. where you know I've missed well in fact me and Owen had a shocker that when we surfed with Owen's in the corner um, we surfed with Hugo didn't we and uh, um, Dan Crockett I remember mm-hmm. <laughs> on the, you were there in fact yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. on the left and I, I, I surfed my longboard on the left and I had an absolute nightmare couldn't buy a wave mm-hmm. and um, yeah kind of it's that surfing thing though isn't it where you basically get reminded every now and again how shit you are yeah which is a good a good humbling yeah. experience i think there's a little bit as well where um i do feel the pressure if i'm if i'm paddling out and i'm kind of incognito really that nobody knows who i am then that's totally fine yeah but if people recognize that i'm the owner yeah immediately they're like you must be really think, do oh, you kick, must be really do good do a kickflip yeah exactly <laughs> i was like oh no really i'm not get um, about get barreled so yeah yeah so, um so i do feel a little bit of pressure there to yeah yeah make sure that i at least look like i know what i'm doing yeah so even i don't are you surfing every day when you can uh no um fits and start so sometimes i could surf four or five times a week and then maybe not surf for a month just yeah. depends on on work really yeah because the other thing is it's weird because because i've got access to ways whenever i want i say oh i can't go in right now i'll go tomorrow i'll definitely go tomorrow yeah and then that keeps happening keeps happening and go oh actually it's few weeks since i've been in i need to get in there more yeah and what um, what surprised you the most about surfing it if that's not too much of a strange question because when you you must be as familiar with it as anybody mm. and it's definitely got its own characteristics this yeah. wave hasn't it yeah i think everyone kind of you know acknowledges that when they surf it for a little bit yeah what's what's kind of what have you learned from surfing it yourself um i mean personally i really love I really love using it almost a bit like a gym a bit. Um, you know, it's pretty privileged that you don't have to do loads of duck diving and all the rest of it. So once you get into a rhythm, you just get like obviously great waves. They're always great. Um, and uh, and the fact that you know, can really get aerobically fit off the back of it. You do, you um, do a lot of paddling, don't you? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, and, and that's great. So if you have like a couple of sessions back to back, you just feel like you've just like, caught so many waves yeah. but also been through some amazing fitness at the same time yeah and obviously always with a smile on your face rather than grimace so yeah yeah um that's been different i didn't realize that i would be using it or be able to use it almost like a gym yeah and ah, oh, you know it's so great to be able to kick off a gym membership and yeah, yeah. do something outside in yeah. nature uh, something that I love and with other people who are like-minded which is great so you're you you go for the second wave of the set I always you. try to yeah because yeah. I, 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 I learned quite quickly that probably because I'm not surfing enough really because living where I do it's so kind of inconsistent that I couldn't really claim to be paddle fit so always there's always one set where I'm like ah, oh, I could get another wave here and then I'm basically fucked yeah and uh, fall off so yeah I kind of been like right one one wave of set just to kind of because you do you do get a bit kind of you know wave hungry don't you here yeah especially when you have a good good session you start getting a few you 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 do you can knock yourself out pretty quickly can't you yeah 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 well thanks for doing this i mean i really wanted to do this for so this is episode 200 bit of a milestone with the podcast um and we first chatted we were just reminiscing september 2019 Mm. and we did and i think that was about episode it was around episode 90 ish for me i can't quite remember the number and it was about a week before the water went in yeah and probably about three weeks before you opened if i remember rightly we actually did the interview in the pool didn't we on, we did on the concrete yep and then we did some pictures like around the perimeter and 
I think what what I'm really interested in finding out today is how it's been really because mm-hmm. we we were just talking beforehand and there was definitely I think in the original conversation I was using the old if if you build it they will come kind of line mm-hmm. and that was like a 10 year mission wasn't it really yeah. for you yeah. to for you to get this thing made and what I'm really interested in exploring today is like what the reality's been like really mm-hmm. of 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 like you got it done but as as we have talked about recently and before like that was actually the start wasn't it yeah. at the time and you were saying this earlier it kind of felt like the finish didn't it but it was actually the beginning 100%, and, and yeah. i think like personally and professionally i'm really interested in in how that's been yeah for you um and what you've kind of learned really because it's obviously taken a personal toll on on your health hasn't it as well yeah it has as well yeah i mean f- fundamentally i i'd summarize it as just wasn't ready just had no understanding of of how everything would be completely different as soon as we are up and open and inviting people in uh i liken it i've likened it before about uh, uh like buying your first home or buying a buying a new house and inviting your mother-in-law who's super critical to come and have a look at the place before you've even unwrapped the boxes right. and all the rest of it is that it i mean my mother-in-law's okay um just to say but just but, um but the the fact that we before we even um took hold of the place to ourselves and really lived lived in it and understood how it all worked having people who've got huge expectations that we've created yeah coming in and being able to comment on anything and everything yeah um both personally and obviously online and all the rest of it um and in an ideal world it would have been great for us to have really took hold of the place like loved it lived it all together as a team for a period of time before we we were open to the public yeah um so that's a massive learning from my perspective because i think that massive shift that happened literally overnight um yeah, definitely sort out any kind of issues, frailties, yeah. team dynamics, um, uh, created some incredibly great behaviours, but also some not so great behaviours. And, and um, I just don't think we were completely ready, but we we had to open as soon as we could. But you were the first though as well. Yeah. And, and, and the thing about this place is because it was the first in the UK and really one of the first in the world, it, is, it immediately assumed this significance didn't it yeah there was a lot riding on it culturally Mm -hmm. if you know what i mean yeah in in british surfing like immediately people had an opinion on it and immediately became this lightning rod really Mm -hmm. for the for for surfing in britain you know this this place is if there's any debate about surfing this place is is almost like a really handy metaphor for it isn't it you know which again was probably not something that you even factored in when Mm -hmm. you were doing it Mm -hmm. but when you were do you think that kind of almost like bloody-minded naivety, if you don't mind me putting it like that, was necessary to get it done? Do you oh, know? 100%. Do you know what I mean? Because like, because if because it was such a mission, wasn't it? And yeah. you and you did need the. I mean, that we talked a lot about the hurdles that you went through in the first podcast, so I don't think we need to go into that. But you know what? What stands out is like just the amount of of bloody-mindedness that you needed. Yeah. And do you think if you didn't? known what you've just outlined Mm -hmm. do you think it would have scared you off um possibly that's a good point possibly would be um i think 
I think what it enabled us to always look at every single day with humility, just go, you know what, we really, really don't know everything. What we can try and do is communicate uh, as much as possible to everyone that we're we're still testing, we're still learning. You know, this is the first time anybody's done anything like this, particularly in this scale, and particularly with literally launching five businesses all all in one. You know, we've obviously got the surfing side of it, yeah. but then um, the sort of food and beverage side and the retail bit and um, all those things. Um, and so it was launching many products all at once and then letting everybody, it's like a fly on the wall documentary going on where people just come and see you know, us running around rabbits in headlights. Well, it's real time on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And just yeah. trying to keep keep calm under pressure um, while stuff was you know, constantly got you know, getting thrown at us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, you know, as a team, we've absolutely managed to keep together, um, ride through, you know, particularly those first three months, which was eye-opening for all of us. Yeah. Learn quickly um, and uh, and then move on, um, you know, in the hope that we will get the right answer eventually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, gleaning as much knowledge from other people as possible. Yeah, because I guess the thing, like I said earlier, about you being the first. Yeah. So I remember initially, I think I surfed it. I came and wrote a piece of Metro and, and reviewed it, if you like, mm-hmm. in November 2019. And at the time, the plan was to have beginner, expert and intermediate in yep. the same session, wasn't it? Yep. And I assume that was part of the business plan. Yeah, I, it assu- was. I assume that was like, um, well, we'll be able to get this many people through the door, we'll be able to get this many people in the But it became quite apparent quite quickly that wasn't going to work, right? Yep. And you had to change that and you yep. changed it so it became like advanced and beginners yeah but you would never have known that no. because because this was the first of its you know type wasn't yep. it and the first like i imagine like all these wave guns wave pulls they're just they're not like for like are they there's no, just so there's just so Each many different, different variables that different. you can't you can't look at the one in spain yep. or switzerland yep. and go like right we're gonna do that in bristol yep. you, you gotta work it out yourself right yeah but you will now be able to take those learnings into your future projects developments whatever but you, you get my point like you had to go through that to learn it 100 percent. and yeah. yeah that's immediately like a massive setback isn't it because you're like okay well that that well those numbers aren't going to work anymore yep. so we've got to, we've got to go again you know yep. like so is that kind of this type of challenge that you ref- yeah, refer into it, yeah it's all it's all about um you can guarantee as soon as you put a plan together that that plan's going to go wrong yeah. so it's about your ability to pivot really quickly with a team that you trust and don't have the arrogance of uh, assuming you know it all and and have that humility to go and ask people who might know better than you yeah or maybe have gone through similar challenges different challenges being able to um you know now we have got four or five surf parks around the world that are open to yeah. be able to go pick up the phone and go guys we're having an absolute nightmare yeah. on this what, what do you how, do how have you done <laughs> you know yeah. um and and information sharing which you know collaboration partnerships like really understanding now that um, the more you can be open with your knowledge, uh, that also can come back to you. And yeah. it's so important, particularly when you do something for the first or second time. Yeah. Were, were you able to separate... Okay, let me put it a different way. I imagine you took that quite personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you... This whole project's been a very personal thing for you, hasn't it, yeah. from day one? Yeah. You know, So when you were having the type of setback that all like... I don't think setback's the wrong word, to be honest, but, you know, like, problem to yep. solve yep. as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as somebody doing something new. Yeah. Were you able to 
not take that personally? No, never. Yeah. yeah. See, this is the thing, yeah. isn't it? Because when you yeah. pour that much passion into something yeah. personally, yeah. this is the paradox, isn't it? Where yeah. you've had to pour that much of yourself into it to get it off the ground and make it a reality. Yeah. But at what point do you separate yourself to, to say like, oh, well, that's just the way it's going to be. I imagine that when you had to make that decision, for example, like, okay, well, we can't do the intermediate thing. Mm-hmm. I imagine that was challenging for you personally. Yeah, it's, chal- it's challenging personally, but I just, you know, I just um, always, yeah, always look at, I, I'm, I, I'm very solution, f- solution focused. So first of all, like, right, how can we solve this? But then when you see that there isn't something to solve, um or there is something to solve but it's you can't solve it yeah it's like okay how do we communicate this properly and being being at the brunt of um yeah because it's personal you know you've got loads of customers who will just feel it's totally fine to just message me just you know call me up message me what yeah. have you on well you can see that yeah online exactly. you can see yeah. that in the comments exactly you know and this is the stake i'm talking about that people had in it yeah they almost felt it was their business didn't they yeah you know and that's good you you know at the end of the day you know you you've created a community of people who've helped it happen you can't then just completely forget about them once once it's all built i mean you, i mean you could yeah but you wouldn't be great for doing that um and 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 the plus side is that when when it's all going right, you get the most incredible messages almost every single day. Going, of course, this has saved my life. Uh, this has saved my marriage. Uh, this is you know my mental health like absolutely skyrocketed so much better since you've built this place. Um, it, you know, making really great friends here. Communities being built. Um, so. Yeah, it's there's always rough with the smooth, um, but for me, it's just about keeping that conversation going and and making sure that we're yeah we're trying to make the impact that we were set out to be. Which you know, going going back from the start, yeah, it's a it's an amazing surfing destination inland, but uh, it was always meant to be much more than that about trying to affect people's health and well being. Um, and the more I can see that impacting out there, then it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. But the irony is it actually did really impact your health personally. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that, that That is the irony. Um, yeah. And, and did you, have you, are you able to learn to to develop that separation that I'm talking about between the personal and the professional? Is is that something that you, you've able, been able to learn to do more as this has gone on? Um, a little bit, but not as much as probably as I should do. I think I, I've, I've learned more, particularly from having got unwell, about how important it is that, particularly with my kids, you know, they've 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 pretty much grown up only knowing me trying to get the wave going, so yeah. they don't really understand my previous life, um, and that has come a little bit at a personal cost for my with my relationship with my kids. Um, we're, we're all cool; it's all fine, but I know that I could have given more to them. Um, when they were when they were younger and so i guess since um a few years ago when i had a massive stroke i'm i've just prioritized more that it, it shouldn't be 100 percent all about the wave actually i need to start get that separation in the evening to go right i'm downing tools focusing on the kids focus on the family if there's a bit of time afterwards i can i can do some work after that or what have you but but i need to prioritize my kids more yeah um, because you've only got one shot at doing that yeah 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 are you comfortable talking about the stroke yeah totally yeah yeah so how so this was 
2020, right? About a year after you opened? Yeah, February, February 1st, 2020. Okay, yeah. right. So, so we're three, three years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously been a really long physical haul, hasn't mm-hmm. it, for you? Um, so how do you, how do you view that now? Do you, do you see a, a link to these things that we're talking about? The, you know, this, I haven't used the word stress yet, because again, I'm not sure it's the right word to use, but just when you're so emotionally involved in something, do you, do you see a link with it? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, um, uh, obviously went through all the sort of medical testing, all the rest of it, and they could find absolutely no reason for me to have. Cause you were young, got, right? Yeah. yeah. Sort of 47 at that time. Yeah. So, um, no reason at all. Um, but they realized that there is a real stress link, particularly with younger people who are getting, um, getting strokes. Um, there seems to be something under a stress response that seems to thicken blood slightly. Right. So there is a chance that that might have been the sort of process as to why I did end up having, um, a big blood clot. Um, and yes, I do, I do, I do attribute it to, to the stress of this place. Um, not in a not in a really negative way in terms of oh you know uh, you know it, if it wasn't the wave that I probably have, would have done something equally bonkers that will probably have caused that stress anyway um, so I do like to put myself under pressure to do something um, sort of groundbreaking or something that really tests myself well it's drive um, isn't it yeah it is yeah and, and, yeah. and you know you've kind of asked my next question for me but is that you've always had that drive yeah then? i think so yeah and always with a, always a with a bit of a maverick size like right how can how can i do something differently that would would make an impact through most things that i do so um so i don't attribute it to i attribute it to, to this process of doing the wave but i don't feel um aggrieved by it at all i just it's it's just part of the learning curve and just go well, if I was to do this again, I might do it slightly differently, not put myself under so much pressure or, or at least understand the warning signs of um, maybe I'm pushing myself a bit too much. And what, what do you attribute that drive to? Because there's clearly like a bit of a legacy thing going on here, isn't there? You know, you, you're idealistic about this. You, know, you want to make a difference. You, know, you, talk, you talk about it in terms of changing people's lives. Um, because you could just look at this like you want to build a cool place to go surfing. Yeah. And that would be obviously completely totally legitimate. Yep. But that's it's always been about more than that for you, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I guess understanding particularly, again, over the last three years is that my main core purpose in life is to try and help people and try and make people happy. Even from, you know, even even as a kid, I was just always mucking around trying to make people smile, make happy, just always the joker um in in the place um but equally would always be the really sort of emotionally sensitive person to always check if somebody's unwell or unhappy or what have you always got this drive to try and help people i guess um and i guess that's why i ended up being an osteopath working in the healthcare profession and stuff um but the but the weird thing is like didn't really fit well with me the whole surfing stuff is because it was surfing is or has been quite a selfish thing to do and what I so there was always a little bit of a sort of yin and yang there and I was like actually if you can combine that where you can actually help people whilst you're doing something that is truly fun that is quite selfish but actually you can share that that stoke that 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 sort of good vibe 
that that could be really powerful. I think. Yeah, like um, democratize it. Almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that's that was the sort of scratch that I wanted to itch. Really, is like how can I bring something that fundamentally I absolutely love and I'm completely powered by, um, and then be able to share that with people and the impact that creates in health, happiness, hope for the future. Wouldn't that be like a super cool thing to do? Yeah. And and that obviously set me on the path to build the wave yeah and do you feel like you've achieved that uh somewhat i mean the last three or four months we've had you know probably last six months is a bit of a realization about actually uh myself um and my drive and then how that converts into trying to drive the wave so it's about reality and expectation the sort of ambition the ambition of the wave was really high already but the impact that we could create through you know thousands of people coming here every every year could be even better um and i guess i was pretty frustrated those first two years where you know because of covid because of my stroke because of various different things that are going on in the business we, we i wasn't able to see that ambition being realized and the last six months i would say is now been a real reality check for me and go actually it's okay that you're not there yet as long as there's a real process about how you're going to get get to the sort of um holy grail of everyone being here um you know real you know mixed ages abilities demographics diversity all of that everybody in this place together just doesn't happen overnight like changing stuff just doesn't happen overnight and that frustration is what will drive me always to want to improve it but i realize now i've got to be really patient to not um drive too hard where it could potentially break the team break personalities uh and make sure that very that that purpose that clear purpose is driven through um the whole business from grassroots of the business um and the last bit is the sort of customer facing bit. Right. Whereas everything was very customer facing when maybe our team wasn't quite completely on board with it. So I think it's sort of the last six months we sort of stripped right back to basics and go, right, what is our purpose and how are we going to see that impact in the world? And let's start with the team, get them right, get them really in a strong footing because that will then reflect on our customers and the experience and all the rest of it. So that's been a real realization to me over the last six months. So does that, I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, there's a few questions that kind of spring to mind from that, but I guess the first one is, is that because, you know, you mentioned the team, Mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned, I mean, I guess you're talking about the culture here as a, as a, as a place of work really Mm -hmm. there, aren't you? Is that because of what I alluded to earlier, like this idea that this thing like surfing itself it's that metaphor idea again. Does does mean many different things. Well, it's in the eye of the beholder, really, isn't mm. it? So you you've, you are you kind of saying like that your vision was for the, for the, like the blue health, like mm-hmm. the, the the community benefits of it as as an outcome of surfing basically wasn't shared by everybody. Some people just saw it as like a purely functional des- surf destination. Do you know what I mean? Like is yeah. that is that is that the kind of thing you you mean there? Yeah, it is. Um, it's I guess the reality of just creating a functional place where you could come and just surf yeah and as you say it's kind of cool and vibey and people like it and therefore they come and pay for it and all the rest of it yeah to actually being being a tool for the impact that i always envisaged 
being able to create in the world. Yeah, well, they're, that, di- they're different, aren't they? Yeah. They're different things. Because I think what you know about surfing is traditional surf culture doesn't really like the democratization of surfing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> doesn't really want to see it as yeah. like a universal, you know, help all that can... And, and and I guess when you try to run a business as well as you are, because, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into it, but you mentioned COVID, you know, we're, we're going through an energy crisis. <laughs> Can't imagine the energy bill for this place is cheap. Nope. You've had hurdles, real life hurdles as well. So there's a business element to this as well, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to get people through the door at the end yep. of the day, yep. you know. So those two things, I guess, can be a bit, you know, in opposition, can't they, really, if yeah. you're not careful? So is that what you kind of found, that there wasn't a clarity of, of what this place should be for, almost? Yeah, because also, if you look at it from a business model, is that um, surfing is quite a niche niche culture. Um, you forget that sometimes, don't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. Especially um, when you, like, kind of work in it like we do, and, you know, you, you kind of assume it's like this huge thing. But everybody does it. It's but really yeah, not, is it? No, it's really, really quite niche. And so, therefore, being able to speak a language of people who don't know anything about surfing and being able to make it more accessible for people from a language point of view let alone accessible in terms of being able to get here you know and and use use um use the lake and and the waves um yeah that that was a real realization over the last sort of um 18 months is that if we only talk to surfers we'll will will break as a business you have to grow that audience but when you grow that audience there's a real responsibility i feel a responsibility and the team do about doing it in the right way that we're not bastardizing the sport and the culture that goes with it that when we bring people on and go surfing for the first time that they really um respect the environment and any environment they go down and, and use down by the coast as well um and I guess that, that, I guess that underpins it. That respect bit really is making sure that um, we're. I feel like we're sort of, sort of stewards. You know, need to steward the way, the right way to develop that culture, which doesn't become real cliche and doesn't. Um, you know, still keeps some really some of the really great parts of the surf culture, but uh, is allow that uh, allow that to be almost like a metaphor for because um, like the really good stuff around surf culture is brilliant i mean it is absolutely brilliant and so i think if we can use all the positive metaf- metaphors that come from surfing to be able to then um talk to general people people who've never been uh, looked at waves and water let alone thought about riding it or being in it then i think that's that's the bit that um if we do that right could really open up the market in a responsible way um without um without um you know trash trashing trashing the sport trashing the culture that's around it yeah so it's that respect really well it's the sharp end isn't it this this place of that debate because we i mentioned it at the start of the conversation we've also talked about it separately like it is it is really interesting a facility like this because the the time that surf you know this point in surf culture's history Mm -hmm. it does feel like it's on the cusp of some very significant change Mm -hmm. and obviously a lot of people aren't happy about that Mm -hmm. you know um and wave pools are at the sharp end of that conversation for right or wrong yep they just are aren't they you know and they they do on on one level from the kind of core community for want of a better phrase you know they they inspire like you know a lot of passion some positive some negative but Mm -hmm. equally at the other end of the surf spectrum 
ultimately you get a lot of beginners there. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, this is their first introduction mm-hmm. to surf culture, isn't it? Yeah. So there is a big responsibility that comes with that. And I guess, you know, for you, that, that's got to be something that you can't take lightly, really, I guess. Yeah, 100%. And, 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 and it, I mean, it's a massive thing. You mentioned about Engie, for instance, but for us, um, being responsible by being the first, you know, first people to do these kind of things, the fact that we're pulling masses of energy out of, um, well, to be able to create these waves. Um, so we always said um, since day one that we would only do it through renewable energy. Yeah. But then to make that big leap, I mean, it's the right thing to do financially, it, it, it turns out as well, but making that big leap to go, right, let's put in our own solar farm. So by the end of this year, we'll, when June, we'll have our own solar um, PV and battery storage. So we'll be able to power all of our waves um, uh, just from the energy of the sun. Um, but that is, we shouldn't be afraid to make bold statements like that because if we can do it um, and we've gone through absolute hardship to be able to get to this point, yeah. then every single surf park sh- that. There's no reason why every single surf park shouldn't be um, looking at making sure that they're getting renewables on site or at least pulling the grid, you know, so that we're not, whilst making beautiful waves inland, bringing a slice of the ocean inland, that we're not trashing the environment by doing that. So those kind of things, I think we always set out in the right right vein to, to be able to do that. And that's, you know, massive um, respect, you know, with Chris Hines, who was in, on the journey from the start, who absolutely was holding me to account. like, yeah, but are you doing this? Are yeah. you doing this? Um, and that's great because that's just allowed our DNA to be, for that to be in our DNA, but constantly looking, right, how can we, how can we make decisions where we're making the right decisions? They could be groundbreaking decisions, which means that we get great narrative about how, how we should be, in the future and 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 show other surf park developers and stuff like that going there's real values um a real value by doing things in the right way yeah um that that's the bit that i feel we have responsibility until maybe there's four or five other surf parks around and hopefully they're 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 doing good business you know they're they're doing good by the planet by doing good business yeah i mean that that last word's key isn't it i think because when you were talking, I was just thinking, I mean, again, that's quite a lonely position you're in there, isn't it? Because ultimately, I'm going to use the big C, which I know you listen to, yeah, with Chris and Lewis, as, as, um, as, a, as a bit of a... Because I think one of the things that like really shocked me about that was the fact that people don't actually give a shit, yep. really. Um, and people, you know, Chris Nelson makes the point really eloquently, I think, that like basically there's a big gap between like the 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 public image that surfing presents as this like con- environmentally conscious mm-hmm. entity mm-hmm. and the reality as symbolized by the chloroprene issue and also by what you're talking about because you know people will do it if it makes a business sense but it's going to take you to prove that case isn't it yeah really for it to become practice yeah in the same way that as chris has realized and lewis you're making this film that like it's only really going to change that when when the bottom line means it will change by the consumers having an impact or you know what i'm saying so yeah, like 100 and that that's and it's complicated that because you because you <clears throat> idealistically you kind of think well that's a no-brainer like you know surely everyone's going to you know shift to ulex mm-hmm. surely like everyone's going to realize that the best way for a facility like this to run is with solar or mm-hmm. but end of the day you're gonna have to make that work and prove it 
can work for people to follow. Yeah. And that's another quite large amount of responsibility that you've taken on for yourself there, really. Yeah, it is. But um, look, you don't, you don't take on the responsibility of building something like this without shying away from some of those hard conversations to have. Again, to me, you know, and what I've learned learned over the last particularly six months personally is it doesn't doesn't help anyone if I just go to all of the surf ops team uh, here at the wave and go, guys, we've got to do you Lex right now, otherwise I'm gonna sort of um, <laughs> you know, spit the dummy out kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, well, we've got obligations that we've already got at the moment yeah. and, and, and all the rest of it and we've got sort of wetsuit partners and, and all the rest of it. But again, this is the reality of where we are right now. Yeah. We've been highlighted an issue. Yeah. We think that that is an issue that we should be looking to tackle. Yeah. Um, can we tackle that with our current suppliers? Can we talk to them about how, how can they shift that, yeah. uh, that narrative and then create action from it? And then actually the ambition, um, where, you know, what's perfect? Where, where could we get to? Could we be, you know, at the moment, we're one of probably the biggest surf school in Europe. And therefore, we command the biggest number of literally thousands of wetsuits. Yeah. If we are able to crack that in the next four, you know, three, four years to get to the point where we ULEC suits 100%, even in our surf schools, all the yeah. rest of it, that would be a massive statement of intent. Well, in the same way that if you can make this place exactly run on solar and, exactly. and, and you know, be sufficient in that way, yeah. same thing. It'd be yeah. a leading statement really wouldn't it for exactly. the for the industry that there is that, that there is a financial reason to do it. i mean it almost sounds well it's pragmatic isn't it i was going to say it sounds ugly to say that but ultimately it's a business yeah and and what struck me from listening to you then is it sounds like you've kind of learned to be pragmatic mm-hmm. by how you try and get these goals over the line whereas yep. maybe previously you were a bit more like you know a bulldozer <laughs> yeah i think that's really true it's really true well and also you know previously i was pretty much a one man band for the first number of years um so i just if i wanted something to be done in a certain way i'd just get on and do it because i was only answering to myself at that time yeah eventually obviously we get investors in and you're answering to investors and then you've got a whole team and you're, you're sort of trying to um make sure you're doing best by the team um but, you know, I guess that's the sort of personal development I've had to make over, over, you know, probably three or four years is is becoming less of a maverick, much more of a team player. Yeah. But then realise that the team are looking to me to inspire them, like from, I guess, more of a visionary point of view. Yeah. But then they, it's really important for me to show them, well, there is also a way in which you can get stuff done. And it's either bulldozer or actually you could just build a plan like understand where the impact that you want to see in the world and as long as everything is is gunning towards that um then then that's okay and you just sometimes just have to be patient well it's like a bit of a founder conundrum as well isn't it that you know like like because you're as you've sort of spoken about and as one of the themes of this conversation is that is the kind of you know i think i used a phrase like bloody minded vision earlier like it's required to to do each of these things that you're talking about but equally that can be quite alienating for people Mm -hmm. you know if you don't bring them with you and you've got to learn i think haven't you as a founder as a leader as somebody with a vision yeah to that'll get you so far that'll get you the wave built Mm -hmm. but will it get will it get you your bigger goals Mm -hmm. which are 
as you've outlined, are, are very ambitious. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of like to change a lot of things about the way people surf, use energy, like all, you know, like how, how it can benefit communities. All these goals are like massively ambitious. So it sounds like you've kind of had to learn how to temper that drive in a way that can can help you achieve those longer term goals, if you like. Yeah. And that, and that's something you're always going to have to learn, isn't it? When you when you're a founder who's trying to or an entrepreneur who's trying to do something this ambitious really i yeah. think i think i, I mean one, one of the, one of the books i did um uh, read was a simon sinek book um infinite game which actually for me personally was a complete revelation because it really did um allow me to understand that sort of entrepreneurial mindset in terms of this is it's it's an infinite game there isn't a there isn't a there isn't an end to this game. Um, I guess the only, you know, it's sort of um, the only time you, your sort of exit plan is really, my only exit plan is when I die, whenever that might be. Um, so for me, it's like what what's starting to look at a business model and looking at, at a business and also the impact that we want to see in the world. Let, let's put a sort of 50-year target or a 100-year target. Well, like how, how will, what, you know, what, what would the wave look like in 50 years' time? You know, what is that sort of almost utopia and how do we start to work towards that? But understanding that we should be constantly improving, evolving as, as you know, the climate changes and, and society changes and all the rest of it. So it's sort of making sure I've got like a really big long-term vision, like something that's like super audacious um, and, it, and takes me out of it, takes everybody out of it. Like we, you know, I'm not going to be around in potentially in 50 years time. So you know what what is that legacy what how can we set stuff in stone now or as close to stone now so that we can um set something up for the future that yeah. will last generations um and then and then strip it right back to right how 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 will what i do in the next hour contribute to that yeah and if it doesn't contribute to it i shouldn't be doing it um, yeah prioritize it that's hard though yeah it is but that's it's it, it, but it's it, but it's a great way to be able to look super high level but then bring it right back down to actually how how am i contributing personally and how as a team are we doing it and how as a business are we contributing that conversation to that conversation in the long term to see the impact that we want to create so without getting all x factor on this like this this has been uh, you know judges houses it's been a journey <laughs> but i mean i mean that seriously yep. because y- you it's really clear how much you've learned about mm. yourself doing this you know like we talked about the very real physical toll it's taken on you but yep. but clearly there's been you must have learned a lot about yourself yep. over the last few years yeah i mean it really sounds like you have yeah you know like, it really sounds like you've had to do a lot of soul searching a lot of a lot of evaluation a lot of work as the americans would say you know like to to kind of reconcile these goals with a with a a happy nick really do you know what i mean yeah like is that is that fair that is very fair that's very fair i think um at the time when you know particularly after i had my stroke i lost all ability to speak i only had my head to talk to talk to because i couldn't speak really to anyone um which was um to be so introverted to the point where I couldn't really talk to anyone. It was, yeah, I spent a lot of time just sat by the fire trying to keep warm with my dog, just thinking like, yeah, that perspective, trying to understand who I am um, and 
I guess, without being morbid, really having to come to terms with, uh, I could have another stroke tomorrow and because no, nobody knows. Yeah. So that sort of cliche of like, let's make, make today count. Um, but then that really weighing heavy on me to go like every day. I can't, I can't treat every day. Like it's my last. Yeah. I like that. It's so knackering to think like that the yeah. whole time as well. Um, so definitely went through a like pretty bad head funk off the back of that going like, like have I pushed myself too far that there's no coming back? Should I just completely go quiet now? Just, you know, have I achieved everything now so I could just sit back and relax, not relax in terms of, you know, I've got loads of money and I can just disappear off because I've obviously still... But take the pressure off yourself, Yeah, I'd take say. the pressure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but I realised that I'm only happy when I can really see the progress of, I guess, that bigger goal, that bigger vision, yeah. which was never about building a surf park. It was about bringing a slice of the ocean inland and sharing it with, you know, as many people as possible yeah. to bring that hope, health and happiness. Um and I guess that became the thing where I go, okay, I've, I've, I've still got a mission. Yeah. I still, I've got unfinished business. I need to, I need to get back. I need to get back to work yeah. and be able to drive that. How long did that take? I'm just curious because I recognize this <laughs> ebb and flow you're talking about. Mm. I imagine you have a bit of that where you push yourself to the point where you're, you just have to retreat almost yeah. like you stroke aside which yep. is obviously a very specific yep. thing yep. but these themes we're talking about drive and you know pushing yourself and the <laughs> way that it can impact you personally and all all those things that we're talking about i i've kind of recognized in myself that i'll sometimes just have to stop yep for a bit yeah you know just get to the point where i'm a bit like there's there's warning signs mm-hmm. whatever they are mm-hmm. that i need to listen to mm-hmm. it normally takes me I've actually had a little period of that, of that recently, probably like last, where I basically got to before Christmas was like, actually, I just need to like, I need, I need to stop it, yeah. you know, and like, and just sort of look, look after myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I have like a pattern of behavior that I'll kind of follow, which is, I think, just quite, you know, like we're animals at the end of the day, aren't we? So you, you, you behave in a certain way to try mm-hmm. and to try and protect yourself, don't you? Do you know what I mean? And so in this case, when you're talking about, this experience with the stroke and and obviously you had a big evaluation there like mm-hmm. how long did it take before you felt ready to come back and 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 renew the the assault if you yeah. like um i thought i was ready after six months and i was probably ready after about 18 months right uh in reality um but but again that's that's a lesson really to me it's just like yeah. being being a bit more patient patient for myself yeah know, with myself um but then I also um, reflecting, you know, particularly us as a business, um, that you know we're seasonal. You know, we're like mad, mad busy in the summer. Um, you know, stuff right up like nearly three hundred people that we're looking after and trying to um, support. Um, and then in the winter, obviously, it's it's quieter. Um, and I think that that's that's okay. And I think you know this year is probably the first time where we've been like busy, busy summer. And then go, right, let's just pause, take, take a bit of a breath. Then, you know, work out what went well, what didn't go so well. How can we improve it? Make plans. 
start sort of looking after ourselves a bit more um, during that time. Um, and then, and then again, that sort of ebb and flow, you know, understanding that we are in many ways a, a very seasonal business and we're seasonal creatures. Um, and that's okay. Rather than trying to do everything, you know, hundred percent the whole time. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the first time we've done it as a business this, this winter. And I really, I can really see already that we're reaping the benefits of more time to nurture ourselves as a team, more time to plan and get ready for the season rather than constantly dealing with like more firefighting stuff that's really urgent, but maybe it's not important. Yeah. And the important thing is the team, the culture that is within that team um, and the health within that team to then be able to go right once we're really set really well over the over the winter we're now ready to go out there and and bring it to you know bring our a, a game to anybody who's coming to visit well you need to practice what you preach don't you yeah. in in the culture yeah. like you say you know if the whole point of this is to improve well-being and 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 community and all these words that you use like it like you, as you kind of mentioned earlier it has to start here doesn't it yeah you know it has yeah. to if you can't if you can't kind of get that right here, then obviously you can't really expect to be successful in communicating that message in a wider way, can you really? Yeah. So fascinating. Mm. So fascinating. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask is when we talked previously, um, and th- I think this was the thing that really stood out to me on that last conversation that we had. I was like, what's next? I think, and you said, well, we're going to do one in London. We're going to do one in... <laughs> and you were like reeling off all these. I think at the time you were like, you had you mentioned maybe like four more you were going to do and i remember thinking like fucking hell like this <laughs> lad needs a day off you know like so is that still the plan yeah it is definitely um but the reality again is is the situation and 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 also the sort of situation globally is like now's not the time to be building lots and lots of things because it's really expensive to build yeah um uh money is also um we would we still we still would need to raise more capital to be able to um, build more. Now's not a great market to be doing that. So, you know, particularly this year, it's about making sure that we're really rock solid as as a business, as a team um, this year, so that next year we can really sort of push forwards with our plans yeah. um, beyond that. So, yeah, we have got our irons in the fire in terms of other sites um, going through planning, but it's a smaller team bringing that forward mainly led by me yeah um for um for those other sites um but i guess a lot of a lot of that feeling like we had to get on and do that and do it and do it and do it was also that was felt at that time when i was talking to you like it was going to be a bit of a gold rush that lots of people would be going that looks great that works let's yeah. do it let's do it let's do it but the reality is the sort of kind of global market and all the rest of it means these things aren't going to be popping up left right and center no uh you know the minimum absolute minimum is like four to five years to be able to get one of these up and out of the ground and that's if it goes well i imagine exactly yeah um and um um yeah without being arrogant we do feel like we've learned enough to be able to go right we can probably shortcut most of that process because because of what we've learned so actually you know be a bit confident in your position go like well we will bring these forwards as soon as we can, but also we're not going to break ourselves by doing it. And fundamentally, this will always be, this is where we can test everything. You know, we've got the most incredible facility here in, in Bristol to be able to test all sorts of things. Um, and so let's test lots of different things over the next year or so 
to actually create the you know ideal the most ideal experience so somebody comes in here so it's seamless from you know when when you go go onto the website to how you enter the whole place and you know customer welcome and making sure everybody's got the right kit and everything's like super safe and great experience let's really nail that before we go and do too many of these things because that's when we believe possibly we could then start to fall over too much yeah well you you know you said oh you kind of thought it's going to be a gold rush or whatever but i mean covid was in the post wasn't it yeah exactly (laughs) it was like literally three or four months later i'd like to ask you about that and 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 the the cost of living i mean it's a specific question but those are two you know every business was hit by that but you i mean you know three months after four months whatever it was after you opened to suddenly have to close for effectively the summer (coughs) that that you were really must have been needed Mm. i mean that that must have been that must have been hard you know i mean it was hard for everyone so i'm not it's not like it's not it's not like a let's let's talk about who had the worst time at covid thing but specifically you know for you like that that was a curveball that you didn't need yeah it was a massive by the way sorry now got me shot for a year (laughs) yeah you know um yeah no nobody 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 could really foresee it of course um and for me that was exactly the same time that i had a stroke so i was kind of out of action for six months anyway but the team, particularly led by Craig, um, so CEO, um, had to just again. Um, I guess we were still we're all still in entrepreneurial mode, that startup mode where you go like, we need to pivot. We just got to pivot. It's like we don't we don't have any option other than we either go bankrupt before we've even had a chance to succeed, yeah, or we pull together as a team and try and turn that turn this situation around. Um, and I guess the main thing, you know, furlough obviously. Um, was a help to us um and then uh and then craig going out and being able to sort of go out and and raise some more money to just bridge that gap until we could open again um so you know and i guess we we'd proved enough um that we were able to be able to get somebody to come and back us you know from financially to keep us alive for the next phase wherever that might be but oh my goodness, it's been like so squeaky at times. You yeah. know, being able to just f- literally, um, you know, a few pennies in the bank and uh, needing to pay payroll and all the rest of it, it's like really got very very close. Yeah. But it is again that that sort of startup mentality of like, yeah, well, it, like failing is it isn't an option. We just have to work out. We've just got to pull every every stop out to be able to keep this going. Yeah. Um, and luckily, we'd been doing that for nearly ten years anyway. But it was just a just an even bigger ask, and at least it wasn't purely down to us. It's something that everybody was going through that, that yeah. process. Yeah. So it's not any failure from our perspective. It was about how we would respond to it. Yeah. Um, and I guess we responded to it like we normally try to, which is positive optimism and bloody hard work. Um, you know, and, and Craig and the team were able to turn 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 that around and make sure that we're we got jobs for everyone and then yeah. as soon as we're able to open again what was great is is that everybody suddenly got it about how important being outdoors in nature in water having been cooped up everyone was like right let's go let's go at it um so, so incredibly busy straight so f- off it so fascinating that wasn't it yeah like how we all god i mean you think back now it seems it seems like a very 
particular time, doesn't it? Mm. I'm not going to say like a lifetime ago because that was COVID cliche number one, wasn't mm. it? But, um, but the yeah, like the the importance of being outdoors did suddenly become fundamental to everybody, didn't it? Yeah. You know, whatever that looked like for you, yeah, that's what you needed to do, wasn't it? Yeah, in that summer, yeah, and, and in that period, yeah, like it really did kind of reaffirm those the importance of those simple actions, didn't it? That yeah. we needed, you know, and it was. And given that that was the main reason why right at the beginning I started this whole thing is seeing how unhappy people were presenting to me in my clinic trying to treat people because of that lack of connection to outdoors, nature, other people being able to have great conversations, good food, all those kind of things. It was it was poetic that it was then off the back of COVID. Suddenly it was like, well, that messaging couldn't come at a better time for us no. right now. And which is why we had just such an amazing um, summer off the back of that, because the messaging was very, very clear. Just just get outdoors yeah. and have experience. Don't buy shit. There's no point. It's like, you know, spend it on experiences, spending it on doing stuff with each other and that connection, which we'd been fundamentally missing for a year or so. Yeah. Um, and so then that kind of markets itself then is quite, quite straightforward. Um, and then now... Uh, with time and obviously with like cost of living and all the rest of it but people are now getting a bit more challenged on that but again that 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 message is still pretty simple is is about making sure that when when you do spend money you're spending on the right stuff yeah um you know uh and i think that's yeah i think i think that's the right way that's the message that we've always wanted to go out there with um and yeah hopefully that will stand the test of time yeah so you've talked a lot about the evolution of it, what it means. We've used the phrase democratization a couple of times. So I guess what I'd like to invite you to do really is like, what 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 does that look like practically? You know, like, because, you know, and you've, you've made it really clear that there's a business reason for that as well as a kind of idealistic mm-hmm. reason for you personally. So what does the future of, of the wave look like then, you know? in terms of because as we talked about you know you, it could just be a performance surfing facility but mm-hmm. it sounds like that's there's a bit of a bigger vision at play is that something you could kind of expand yeah, upon just quite simply is that whenever you come to somewhere like this that come to the wave that you see a really diverse audience of people surfers non-surfers just people who are outdoors and smiling it's quite simple is seeing people that are just happy and smiling um, and, the, and, and the reason for that might be that they've just caught the wave of their life or they've just caught the very first wave or they've just been splashing around in the bay or they've just had the most incredible coffee or food or what have you or just having great conversations and connecting people together. But for me, it's about what I would love to see is that that is a really properly diverse area. So, you know, I've always said, I think I said way back um, when we did the first podcast is if this becomes like a middle white playground then middle class white playground that I've completely failed and that's where and I guess that's where I felt like if I didn't come back to work we hadn't embedded enough for that future to happen so me coming back particularly working on the social impact stuff where we go yeah we know that we can get middle class males here surfing quite regularly tops off on the surf skates exactly (laughs) (laughs) um the the old ben mundy inertia story which i'm sure you read yeah yeah um 
and um but you know are we are we able to broaden that that you know that vision how can we really open it up and use surfing and waves as a tool for positive change which you could potentially see a blueprint there yeah about doing it across different sports different industries we just go like just again use that surfing as a metaphor for a change that we want to see in the world um so that still is the vision that's 100 percent the vision and i think that will be i guess it's about seeing as many smiles on people's faces and that, that those people are again all ages all backgrounds all abilities to me that is the ultimate sign of success when when we have a day day like that here at the wave yeah then i feel like okay like i can i can rest easy, easy this evening what barriers have you got to overcome to achieve that like loads um first thing financial cultural barriers um without a doubt um you know access so you know transport here can be a real issue um so those are you know what we've really done a lot of particularly over the last sort of four or five months is really plan what are those barriers and how we can overcome them are there some simple wins or are there some things you know could we open up a railway station here like who's you know there's a railway just down the road who, who do we not need to talk to to try yeah. and get that railway opened up so that we can get access from everybody on, in in a city well that's that's like a five ten year plan so we need to be patient about it, but we need to make steps towards it. Yeah. So those kind of things um, and cultural barriers um, for us, you know, that, that's 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 a, a massive thing that we've been working on over the last year where we bring we've, we've brought in some great women, um, Somali um, uh, and Muslim women coming in here to first of all learn to surf. A couple of them have already said, actually, could I could I become a, a surf instructor here? okay well that would be cool if we could actually have a surf instructor who um female uh muslim uh would be great because then there's a bit more of a representation so that they'd probably be able to bring more people from that community to come along and 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 feel more accepting as this space um so those kind of things but unless and and i guess we can't try and do everything all at once and again for me it's about partnership so we're doing been doing that particular bit of work with Finisterre but we've got um other companies who are coming in and coming on board go like this is this is a great place that we can just test and learn stuff and see if we can together actually make an impact that you know that we both want to see in the world yeah yeah all right final question um which is another personal one Mm -hmm. um has it been worth it Um, yeah, I, I mean, without a doubt, it's been worth it. I, um, I hadn't realized the cost that it could have, um, has, 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 um, um, that's, that's happened, but I would still do it if I knew all of this. Yeah. Um, without a doubt. Um, and the future for me is still so exciting, so much to go at, um, that, yeah, it's totally worth it. And I would do it again tomorrow. And we probably do have to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> but maybe not tomorrow, maybe over the next few years. So just steadily work towards those goals. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love the fact that it's been groundbreaking. It's been audacious, all the rest of it. But um, uh, yeah, I definitely, definitely would do it again. So there you go. That was my conversation with Nick Hounsfield. And that was episode 200. Um, before we get into this bit, I'm just going to say, 
The journey is the destination. I hope you enjoy our conversation. That was a happy accident. I didn't actually realise that rhymed till I actually said it. Um, but there you go. That was episode 200. And what a milestone. One of the things my business partner at All Conditions Media, Jojo, always tells me off for is that I don't celebrate the successes enough. My temperament is one where I just sort of tick things off um, and move it on to the next thing. But this is a big uh, moment in the history of looking sideways. So I'm going to try and um, celebrate this success. And I'm going to try and, you know, be uh, give myself a bit of a pat on the back. I mean, I remember when I decided I was going to have a proper crack at this podcast, Lark. It was January 2017 and I was at ISPO. I, got, I mean, I've not been to ISPO for a few years. One of the good things about COVID, I've not had to go to ISPO for a few years. But back then I was going every single fucking year. Um, and I was at ISPO for the big industry, you know, expo as i believe you call it over there and i'd had the idea about the podcast and i was excited not least because i'd arranged to interview ed there for the first ever episode which we subsequently did in his hire car in the car park the glamour um anyway while we're at that show i ended up telling a couple of close friends about the idea kind of to get their gauge and also to kind of force me to put my money where my mouth is um at the time, I really had no idea what to expect. I know everybody says that. But if you'd have told me where it had ended up, I would have been very, very stoked indeed back in January 2017. And of course, the credit for that has to go to the amazing global Looking Sideways community that has developed around the show and uh, that supports what I do really, and which is now finding a new home at Substack, where as you'll know, if you've listened recently, I've been slowly moving the audience over for the last couple of years. Um, over on Substack, I'm posting episode blogs, with comments open around each episode there will be um a blog around this one with comments so if you've listened to this or the podcast for a while and you want to leave a comment about the show or uh just you know say nice one on episode 200 then you can head over to that episode page at lookingsideways.substack.com and leave me a comment um so yeah like i said at the top briefly it's been a really amazing response to my decision to turn on paid subscriptions which is a couple of weeks ago now um, I was absolutely stoked to see how many people subscribed. And as I suspected, most people were like, nice one at last is a way I can directly support what you do. It has been a very heartening demonstration of the Looking Sideways community in action. And this positive response has really taken me by surprise and surpassed my expectations. Um, if you recently signed up as a free subscriber, welcome to also massively appreciated. But paid subscribers are enabling me to keep this whole thing free for everybody the podcast that is um i also got a load of you know when i did this i said if you're gonna pay to be a subscriber can you um tell me why you subscribe and i got some great comments on that as well so thank you if you did especially the the listener who um said that they listened to it because of all the big words in housekeeping corner i think the comment was something like it's very rare to hear somebody this verbose and as I replied that's the whole reason why I do housekeeping corner so I can waffle away to my heart's content but um, I was very tickled by the fact that people enjoy that so um, you know like I said in the special housekeeping corner episode I posted and as I've just said then a big part of the appeal is that Substack is much more of a two-way street so you can comment on the episodes or blogs and uh, you can also hit me up in the Substack chat threads if you're a paid subscriber so um Obviously, paid subscribers as a little carrot do get a bit more than free subscribers. Free subscribers get the podcast type two and they get the 10 things, but paid subscribers get a bit more. And um, 
this is the type of thing they're going to get. So I've got an open thread going out on Tuesday, February the 7th on Substack. This one is with Nick Hayes, my last type two guest. As we did with uh, Lewis and Chris around the Big C a couple of weeks ago. And that's an open thread where you can ask Nick questions about our conversation, the topics of land access and the right to roam campaign, as well as anything else you want. I mean, I know a lot of listeners enjoyed his book, The Book of Trespass, as I did, for example. So you might want to ask him about that. So the thread is open to everybody. Anyone can comment. But there is a competition. I'm giving away a Yeti cooler for best comment as chosen by Nick. And only paid subscribers can enter that one. Um, So that's one little perk. And as I mentioned at the top, another little perk, I'm releasing a special episode 200 bonus episode with my old pal Ed Lee, which will be exclusively for paid subscribers. That one's going to come out next week. Um, If you want to hear it, you'll either need to have signed up already or will need to sign up to hear that one. Um, So looking forward to hearing what everyone thinks about that. And looking forward, obviously, to catch, catching up with Ed. I'm doing that at the time of speaking in a couple of days. Um, so I've also got a couple of live things happening down in the southwest of England, uh, which I have trailed in the 10 Things newsletter. The first of these is on Monday, February the 13th. This is a live screening of the Big C at Finisterre HQ down in St. Agnes, where I'll be conducting a post-screening Q&A about the film and the issues it deals with. Chris is on record as saying he thinks it's the the most sustained and effective piece of surf activism ever, I believe. Um, so I'll be asking him about that. Um, if you've received my 10 Things newsletter on Friday, the 3rd of February, you'll have seen the Eventbrite link for that where you can sign up. So check that one down to sign up. I imagine tickets will go quite quickly for that one. Then later that week, um, on Thursday, the 16th, I believe, yes, it is. I just quickly consulted the calendar. I am heading to South Devon to see my friends at the amazing new Outside Devon. Now, Outside Devon, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, I mean, it's amazing, really. It's it's a really romantic story. And it has been, it's a skate bowl. It's a community focal point. It's a, it's a cafe. And it is just outside Bantham in South Devon. Um, you can find it on Instagram at outside underscore Devon. It's been set up by some friends of mine, Ben, Paddy, Ags, um, and Jess. There's loads of people involved. They've done an absolutely brilliant job. They've basically built what they dreamed they had when they were kids growing up in this amazing, beautiful part of the world. And they've invited me to come down and conduct a live Q and a with legendary British surf photographer, Alex Williams. Um, and obviously I'm going to do that to support what they're doing. I'm also hoping to interview Paddy Wellens, who's one of the main driving forces behind Outside. Because for me, I think it's just think it's a brilliant story. Um, and it is another of the old classic, if you build it, they will come tales. So at the time of recording, I think there's only a couple of tickets left for that one. Um, so head over to Outside Devon to snag tickets. Um, and hopefully I'll see you there. If you're at either of those things, please come and say hello. It'd be great to meet some people listening to the show. So there we go. That was episode 200. Massive thanks to everybody who supported the show over the past six years. Many, many hundreds of people in terms of guests, people that have helped me, photographers, friends, all that. But really the the listeners, um, we're in the millions on the listens, which is mental, isn't it? So if you're one of the millions of people that have listened to this over the years, I really appreciate it. Here's to 200 more. Nice one. Thank you.